South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And I believe we do have one line open, so grab it if you like. We're going to visit with Clint a little more and then move on to Joyce and Don and you. And uh, let's bring Clint back up again. Uh, okay, we've got through compost tea. What else can I help you with? Just real quick on uh, spraying of molasses, I did yesterday. I try to do it twice a year. Sometimes I can, sometimes I yep. don't. But uh, I know the feeling. How often do you think? <laughs> how often do you uh, prefer molasses, and what's the application rate on that? Well, again, Clint, it's, it a lot has to do with what you're trying to accomplish. If you've got just the lousiest soil in the world and you want it well tomorrow, well, then forget it. You're going to have to find a new hobby. But if you're really trying to turn things around, you could use molasses maybe once a month. Any more than that, I don't think you would really get your money's worth out of it. But uh, um, up to once a month. But, you know, where you're trying to maintain things, once or twice a year is fine. And I know you're, uh, you're in a little bit better soil than I am. So you, you kind of have to base it on, uh, on how quickly you're trying to make things happen because your molasses is your bacterial stimulants. Your bacteria are the things that actually build the most organic material and kind of open up a heavy clay soil, build a, an improved soil structure. So no more often than once a month, but a couple of times a year if your soil's already in pretty good shape my biggest goal is trying to break down the leaves especially the live oak leaves yeah yeah oh once a month on there for sure and how many months you think does it take to get rid of the live oak leaves <laughs> well it depends on temperature and moisture and how fine you've chopped up the leaves um if the leaves are in their intact state uh, it's going to be, depending on weather, somewhere between six months and a year. If you run your mower through them a couple of times, by chopping them up, you're just increasing the surface area that the bacteria and fungi have to act on. You run them through and shred them up, you could cut that time down to as little as three months. Three months? And, yeah. Uh, what's the application rate? How many tablespoons per gallon on that? Oh, what, one to two tablespoons per gallon. And sometimes in cold weather, your molasses is going to get thick and get a little hard to go through the sprayer. If I'm wanting to get two tablespoons per gallon out of the end of it, I'm probably going to mix my molasses 50-50 with water, then put it in the sprayer and set it for four tablespoons per gallon. And, you know, simple math, although it's not simple for a lot of people, uh, if you if you dilute it by half and then double your setting on the sprayer to go from two tablespoons to four tablespoons then you're actually getting a finished product at two tablespoons per gallon if that makes sense oh definitely i did the 50 50 but some folks yeah gallon because kind of aggravated with the leaves in the ground yeah well you haven't heard anything except your bank account and uh, you can you can jump it up as high as you like without really causing any damage. And if you're fighting fire ants and things, I would jump it up because fire ants do not like molasses. But uh, just I, I think it's the law of diminishing returns if you get very much above two tablespoons per gallon. Good deal. All right, well, I sure appreciate your time. Always good to talk to you. You have a great Easter weekend. And let's bring up Joyce. Uh, good morning, Joyce. Hello. Hello. 
Oh, how are you? Good morning, Bob. <laughs> good morning, and uh, my animal sure sent me a nice Easter card that sure made me chuckle. So I know you always help uh, Max and Hannah and Maya. So uh, anyway, I'll start out the day with a big thanks to you for helping them. Oh, my goodness. Well, how kind of you. I wanted to call and congratulate you on your trendy new show that you have. <laughs> uh, I'll try real hard to not get political, but, you know, it's just... Uh it's just interesting times, as, as we say, and uh, I think we've learned an awful lot out of this. I read a lot. Some of it I believe. Some of it I don't believe. But um, it certainly, you know, certainly gives you pause for, for good thought about a lot of different things. And uh, I know you're a thinker as well, so uh, it, it's it's interesting times. Unfortunately, not such good times for some people, but... I think we we're all learning a lot about human behavior, <laughs> as as well as finding out what kind of character some people um, have uh, or don't have in leadership positions. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that and go back to gardening. <laughs> well, actually, that wasn't the the point of my calling your show trendy. Although I agree with everything you said on that. Thing. Mine was that all the sports shows are adding color commentators. And oh. I want to congratulate you on that, because if you have a, a, a girl, it's even extra points, and Miss Hannah has done an admirable job of that. And, you know, since I learned to string the wires up overhead where they don't uh, trip over things, I can have, uh, actually, of course, Maxwell's at home, but uh, I can have two nursery cats and two puppy dogs in here with me doing the show, which makes it that much more fun. It does, and and she hasn't had much to say, and I didn't hear anything today. But her occasional <laughs> comment, I think, is absolutely raises your show uh, well, to a whole new level. Well, I'm so glad you think so. They're a little sleepy this morning, but they'll they'll probably uh, uh, use their voices to uh, let me know their approval or disapproval before the end of the show, for sure. <laughs> okay, you're right. On to gardening. Oh no, yeah. I want to talk about perlite because okay. when the guy was talking about perlite this morning, uh-huh. yep. I had something happen that absolutely surprised me. Although you may have known about it, and that is, I went through a, a store and in an unlikely spot saw a little bag of perlite, and since I was out, I took it because it said perlite. Uh-huh. And so I didn't care what the brand name was on it, which happened to be Miracle Grow. And okay. when I got home with the bag of perlite and sat down and read the whole bag, it is enriched with Miracle Grow plant food for extra. <laughs> and I was, oh no, that never crossed my mind because I think of perlite as the Rice Krispies of the mineral world. Oh yeah, you know, so. absolutely. And what's the point of putting in a fertilizer with the plant that has no roots to take it up anyway, let alone the fact that it's a cruddy fertilizer? So yeah, it's... Uh, well, I didn't use it, and that was my question. Uh, does, can it be used in a general sense or something? I assume it, it's not good for rooting, so therefore, well, I don't know. It's not a whole lot. It says 99% perlite, so, oh, sure. and then it goes into the rest of it, so it isn't a great deal in there. But I simply, it never crossed my mind. I well, mean, miracle Grow. I, I know I wouldn't have bought a plant food, but <laughs> my word, I never thought about it being incorporated with the right. 
Well, they stick their stuff in almost everything. If the bag's not open, I'd take it back. If the yeah. bag's open, just blend it with uh, some of your potting soil. Or I, I don't like perlite outside because it floats. And if you're using anything in the garden that's high in perlite, pretty soon you've got uh, a nice little layer of perlite on top floating down to wherever. So I can find my use of perlite to potting soils and the rooting, you know, propagating plants. But uh, yeah, just just mix it up with your potting soil or whatever, and consider it a lesson learned. Oh, absolutely, but it it might be something else for folks to kind of watch out for that I never, <laughs> never occurred to me. But, well. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a good lesson learned, and you would you would think that they should be required to put things in a little bit bigger letters on the bag, but uh, they don't. They let them they let them hide things, and you'd have to read the fine print to find out what all's in there. And it's not usually as serious on things like perlite as it is on some of the more powerful products. But uh, I mean, it's not not the end of the world by any means, but. Uh, um, just well, good old straight. <laughs> yeah, prob- probably Fertilome is the brand you're going to find most commonly. And it comes in a lot of different grades. When they pop it, they get everything from little bitty chunks of it to great big, almost raisin size pieces. And in an ideal world, the great big pieces are probably the very best. And it's usually sold under the name of Sponge Rock rather than Perlite, but it gets a little bit pricey. So, I just use that kind of medium grade, and uh, it's pretty darn cheap, yeah. and yeah, you is. can you can use it over and over. I use it three or four times, and then if I want to continue using it, I'll stick it in a hot oven for 30 minutes because, I mean, it's already been up to 6,000 degrees. It's not going to hurt it to heat it up, but you heat it up 400 degrees or so, you'll kill out any pathogens in there, and you can go on using perlite for as long as you like. Yeah, I know. I got off on that. I, now my actual question, which I'll be brief about, is about <laughs> a sempervinum. Uh, I bought one, got one from you, I guess. That uh-huh. has. It looks like a cigar. It's just this round, firm leaf on the thing. It's so cute. Right. In a little fan, and it's in a four-inch pot, and I've had it now. And it's put out its second plant, which is almost as big, but it's getting really scrunched up, and I don't want it to lose its shape, so I want to separate those two. And I assume you can just cut them apart, but my question is, should I wait till the weather warms even more? I don't want it to rot. Well... Yes, I think it would be good to wait till it warms. Um, if I thought we were going to have the kind of weather we've had the past few days, I'd tell you it's probably going to be fine. But the forecasts that I look at say we're going to be down in the 40s where I am in Bernie. They're saying even potentially the 30s next week. So, yeah, I would very definitely give it another two or three weeks and then uh, just root it in perlite and then move it on to your cactus and succulent soil, and you'll have two pretty sempervivums instead of just one. Oh, I think they're just the cleverest little plant. And if you accidentally break any of those big leaves off, just lay them on the surface of the perlite and mist over them every now and then, and every leaf that breaks off will form a whole new plant. Oh, for heaven's sakes. I I knew some did that. I didn't know that these round ones, I just never seen one that was so round. (laughs) (laughs) There, there. It, it's an interesting. I guess that's a genus of plants, but the sempervivums are um, 
just unusual things. Succulents are, are a fascinating hobby in and of themselves. If I hadn't gotten hooked on orchids at an early age, I'd probably be growing, you know, a thousand different kinds of succulents. So uh, it's just a lot of fun. When you mentioned your orchids and you talked about your greenhouse and you and what really caught my ear was miniature cattleyas. Are mm-hmm. any of those going to ever show up for sale at Shades of Green, or is that just your personal collection? Well, the ones that I have duplicates of will very definitely show up at Shades of Green uh, probably during the next year because most of them are getting up to blooming size. Uh, unfortunately, with the Catleys, they take about three times as much light as the Phalaenopsis do, yeah. so it almost requires a little greenhouse or you know a really bright place inside for the winter and then outside in morning sun an afternoon shade for the summer but uh, they're just the phalaenopsis and also the lady slippers paphiopetalums are by far the most popular for indoors because they don't take as much light i'll have to show you some pictures of some of the um some of these little mini cats i've been getting them from a fellow named fred clark in southern california who breeds just some of the most interesting things in the world but when you find a really good really bright place, then uh, we'll have to get you started with some mini cats. Absolutely. And thank you. You've spent a lot of time. I appreciate it. I wish you a very happy Easter, and thank you for all the wonderful things you do for folks. (laughs) It is my great pleasure, Joyce, and you keep up all the wonderful things you do as well. We are back to gardening and back to the phone lines. going to be Don and Baron and uh, Javier and Mike. Don's up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Hey, I've got... uh about 45 tomato plants, and uh, uh, some of them I uh, volunteered and came up, and I couldn't have it, put, have it down to where I could pull them up and throw them away, so I, tra- I, I blew them over. And, uh, I know, I know one, the feeling. I've, I've got one, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's a cherry tomato that is volunteering, and it's got, it's, it's about three and a half uh, feet at least, you know, tall, but the leaves are, 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 are real bright yellow and green. Uh, it's yellow coming out and green tips, and they're bright. And the, Does, not, the leaves are not dying. It's just they just look weird, you know. Is is uh, are the all the leaves yellow, or mainly the lower leaves yellow? No, no, no up top, more up top than you. And and are they solid yellow, or can you see the veins in the leaf uh, that might be a little darker? They come out yellow up short and then the tips kind of get green. Okay. Um, you, you're you looking at a deficiency, and, you know, some plants are more affected than others. It could be lack of nitrogen, could be lack of iron, could be lack of zinc. All three of those things will cause that condition. And uh, if it's just one out of a whole bunch, I wouldn't worry too much about it. If it's one you really want to do a lot to try to improve, then a little extra fertilizer around it and, you know, maybe a cup or two of green sand just sprinkled on the surface of the soil. Your fertilizer is going to take care of any nitrogen deficiency. Your green sand is going to take care of the iron and zinc and other minerals. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the fun thing about having stuff sprout from seed is every plant is unique. Uh, there's not another plant in the world like it. It has its own unique genetic combination. Some of them are going to be good. Some of them are going to be bad. Some of them are going to be somewhere in the middle. But um, if you find one that's just a wimp and doesn't grow well, just add that one to the compost pile. But uh, 
it's uh, it's going to be fun. Some of them will be cherries, some of them will be big tomatoes, some of them will be in between. But anytime, if the yellowing is starting at the bottom, then that's a disease called early blight, and you want to get after it with some corn water tea or cornmeal or something. But when it's an overall yellowing, yeah, it's something going on with the nutrients, and it's usually pretty easy to correct. Yeah, it's right next to another, another tomato plant there, and it's not that nose. And I like just that water like that there. And it yeah. Gets, uh, it's, guess, it's, uh, yeah. It's real healthy. The plant's healthy, you know, but yeah. it, it just looks weird. Uh, it's like it's got a bunch of blooms on it. And this one, you come up there and all those leaves are yellow. Not that much. <laughs> well, wait till it sets a couple of tomatoes, taste them, and if they're good, Go on taking care of it. If they're not especially good, then just, again, add it to the compost pile and put your effort into the ones that are a little bit more normal-looking, I guess we would say. Now, if you ever have one that starts making weird, twisted, gnarly growth, or if you have a real odd pattern of uh, kind of uh, green and yellow splotching all through the plant, that might indicate a virus, which I would worry about spreading from plant to plant. That plant I would eliminate immediately. But I, with yours, I think it's just a combination of some uh, weak genetics and uh, not having quite as much of the material it wants to in the soil. So, you know, improve it, save it, add it to the compost pile, whatever works for whatever works for Don. Yes. I got another question. I got uh, some uh Cherry tomatoes, uh, the, the sweet one hundred and the Juliet's, and yes, those suckers are seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What should I do? I got no uh, cages, and I've got you know a uh, wooden thing going up, or what I can time up. But they're getting hard, you know, reach up. Should I just start let them come back down? That's uh, what, what you you got a good early start. I let mine just fall over the top by the end of the season. They'll be back down touching the ground and taking root again. And um, yeah. it's other than trying to take over the world, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, if you wanted to, you could take some cuttings from them and actually start some new plants. Tomatoes root super easily from cuttings. I just leave them alone and let them go because I figure the bigger the plant, the more uh, produce. And uh, Sweet 100 and Juliet are both great tomatoes. Yeah, what happens? Well, because on those not as bad as your bigger tomatoes, but they've been there with a wire and they yeah. crimp and they, they, the weight crimps them and, and, and right. makes you want to break off. Right. Yeah, and that's not such a problem here. You're looking at the, the living definition of indeterminate, which means it's just a big vine, and it's never more obvious than when they grow out of the top of your cages. Uh, so just let them do whatever they want to do and enjoy the good eating. Yes, sir. And one other thing, I've got squash that are trying to take over my garden, too. Can I trim some of those leaves off those squash or those things there every one of them i planted <laughs> and i didn't send them out and they're they're just taking over the, and they're uh, you know just great big and i can't find i looked around in the other morning there and looked, i said what's that a watermelon said, well it was a it was zucchini squash and, and <laughs> it looked like a baseball bat yeah, yeah it, like baseball I yeah I I hate to see you cut very many leaves off because every leaf is what's absorbing the sun's energy, which is what makes yeah. it making good quality. So, yeah. uh, just watch out for snakes if you're out in the country. If you've got any leaves, and if we continue with this cloudy, rainy weather, you're probably going to have a little mildew and things. And any leaves that don't look good and healthy, yeah, you can trim those off, but don't overdo yeah, it because right. you're weakening weakening the plant every time you take yeah. a leaf off. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've got some of those, uh, I've planted those uh, Israeli melons, and they're attacking, attacking my Israeli melons. I had to put a block <laughs> up there because they're covering the ground. And, uh, uh, I have to run my Israeli melons up a wild fence because the, the squash are, are just taking over. <laughs> well, with so. your Israeli melons, uh, if you want the best results, and I had a had an old friend over in the Seguin area that did this with cantaloupe, and he would make a little platform that he could just hook onto the fence because those melons, uh, that Israeli melon is a small melon, but it's still heavy, and uh, yeah. it will develop a lot better if you'll be able to put, in effect, just a little shelf in underneath it. And uh, old Richard made the most clever little things in the world. They're just kind of hooked over and, uh, you know, onto the fence so he can put them on or off, and he'd put one under each melon, and uh, yeah. he sure grew good cantaloupe. So uh, I'd, I'd try the same with your melons, huh? Yeah, yeah I've done before, and when I was in San Antonio, I threw them on the fence, and I've used, uh, well, I've used old penny holes, and you yeah. throw it real yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look quite as good, but it sure, it sure grows things that taste good. Right. Well, I appreciate your uh, information, Bob, and uh, I... Uh, I'd say I'll talk to you again sometime. I'll look forward to it, Don. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. All right. Let's move back to line number one and say good morning to Baron. Morning, sir. Morning, Bob. Morning. Asparagus. Get me yeah. lined out on how to do asparagus. Where do I get them? Um. Well, and, and we're talking edible asparagus, I presume. Correct. This late date... You're probably going to have to go on the Internet to find them. Um, I would look for one of the old varieties like Mary Washington. Uh, there, there are a bunch of new ones out there, but I, I have never found one that really produced in my garden any better than Mary Washington. Most of your local nurseries will have them by the dozens in January and February. So you're awful late getting started with them. But having said that, if you can get some, you're, you're going to buy a, a little clump of roots. It has a little growing point on top and then a good root system below. And you get up, you know, way up north, north of the Mason-Dixon line or maybe north of Dallas or whatever, um, you're into this is the time of year that they're just starting to plant asparagus. So it is still available but uh, next year, if you decide to expand your asparagus patch, most of your better nurseries are going to have plenty of it to sell you, and uh, it's just it's just awful late to find it locally. And I don't think it's worth the money. You might find a nursery that had some uh, asparagus roots left over that they put into containers, and of course, you know, don't don't get the ornamental asparagus like springeri and myri and all of those. But uh, if you want to start your asparagus this late, uh, probably going to have to go to one of your mail order companies expect to pay approximately somewhere between one two dollar one and two dollars per plant don't let anybody rip you off with much higher prices than that but uh again try to get uh either second or third year roots that's how they're going to be sold either second or third year plants and um and ignore all their planting instructions which are going to tell you to plant them six inches deep in south texas we plant them about half an inch under the surface of the soil and like i say look for a couple of the there's one called jersey wakefield is an old one but i still like the old mary washington i think it's as good as any of the newer ones that i've tried and better than most um plant half inch deep um yeah what kind of soil 
do they prefer sandy or anything? Just any, any they, and almost anything. They don't like a heavy clay that stays too wet. But uh, sandy loam, uh, I grow them in the old hill country garden soil and. Uh, you know, my old garden, and that soil's been worked for probably a hundred years in that spot. So they're not picky about the soil so long as it drains pretty well. How well do they hold up in the summer? Give them just a little bit of shade, like you do your shade cloth with the tomatoes. I don't help them get by, or no. do they like full sun. They love full sun, and they love plenty of water. I'd be watering twice a week. I'd be feeding at least monthly, maybe even a little more often, because the bigger the plant, the stronger the plant you grow this summer the longer you'll be able to harvest from it next spring and uh, or next winter. And at that time, we'll talk about how to do that. You get it up and grow it, and then uh, we'll take over from there. Winter, no problem. Very freeze tolerant. Uh, considering they grow them in Minnesota, South Texas barely even slows them down. Some years they don't even freeze, and those years we cut them back to ground level uh, sometime about the 1st of January. Okay. Yes, had a ter- I mean, really, I actually was on time. I could not find them anywhere. I they were in a, yeah. The, the Hallettsville. They were nowhere I, to be found. I, I tell you, the thing that happened this year is the demand was so high that uh, people just sold out of them. I mean, we, we ordered our usual amounts that uh, we usually order what we expect to last it for a, us for a week, and it lasts for a day. And uh, now that we've gotten into all this uh, stay-at-home type of order, I-, I guess if there's anything good from my perspective is so many people are getting involved in gardening, and I think that's a very healthy thing. But uh, I, a lot of people just, for whatever reason, early on this year started planting bigger gardens, and it made it hard to find. But I think you probably still find some pretty good roots online. I will do that. Any particular websites you prefer? No, I really couldn't tell you one over the other. Just uh, check for price. And like to say, anybody that wants more than maybe a buck and a half for uh, two-year roots, uh, they're charging you too much. Okay. Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure, Baron. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Javier. Morning, Bob. We've, uh, morning, sir. We've uh, enjoyed your program for decades. <laughs> You're making me feel old, but uh, I guess experienced is the word we'll apply these days. Yes. Uh, uh, do you know where you can find uh, a mushroom called turkey-tailed mushroom? They say it grows everywhere. Yeah. Um, there are there are companies that specialize in you know mushrooms grow from spores. Uh, mushroom growers call it spawn, and you can actually probably unless you're really experienced at what you're doing. Um, you, you'll buy it as a kit, which is uh, will have, you know, basically a block of material that the fungus will grow on. Um, but I, gosh, I, again, uh, there's a lot of bad stuff on the internet, but there's that's sometimes where we have to turn. I know that over in Gonzales, there's a big mushroom farm over there where they sell a lot of mushroom compost, which is pretty good stuff as long as you don't have much, uh, as long as you're not using too much salt and cleaning. But I probably would, would ask, that's, that's as local as I know of. Uh, we've tried, buying the little kits and sometimes they worked out sometimes they didn't but i'd i'd start with the uh, commercial mushroom growers over in uh in gonzalez and uh um see if they in effect have uh you know have something that you can use to grow them from 
at home. And like I say, it's 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 very specialized gardening because you have to have you're basically you know a, a fungus grows on decaying organic material, and that's what mushrooms are all about. The mushroom is just the fruiting body of this fungus that would be growing down in the decaying wood. So. Um, it's it's not exactly like planting a package of seeds, but I'd, I'd start with the uh, with the mushroom growers over in Gonzales, and uh, I'll look around to some and see if. Uh, in fact, I might even ask Howard Garrett if he uh, make a note of my uh, my eight o'clock notes to talk to Howard about, and I'll I'll ask him if he has any ideas. But that that's yeah. the best I can do as far as somewhere to look right now, Javier. And that's another comment. We really enjoy your, your when you speak with Garrett. So. Hopefully uh, you can ask him, uh, Mr. Garrett. Probably uh, he and his two dogs and uh, perhaps some more of his family will be close to the phone. My, when my engineer calls, uh, Howard has one dog named Tater that uh, when the phone rings, Tater sings. <laughs> so I'm glad you enjoy him. He's uh, he's a character in his own right, but he's uh, a good guy and a knowledgeable guy. So I'll, I've, I've got my note down here to ask him about growing mushrooms. Well, uh, Bob, it's supposed to be uh, a, a mushroom that's found everywhere. Uh huh. That's what they. The, the, it's a medicinal. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. F- yeah, I'm familiar with the name. I just don't trust myself as a mushroom hunter because, as you well know, <laughs> a lot of them kind of look alike, and a lot of them can make you very, uh, very ill if you get the wrong ones. But it, it is one of those that it's not going to grow in the deserts, but anywhere you have moisture, anywhere you have the right uh sort of decomposition going on so to speak of wood products uh it does grow and that's pretty much worldwide except in the very dry regions and the very cold regions so uh it'd be it'd be a good one to learn to grow with because i think it's reasonably easy okay and also uh since you mentioned bruce uh earlier uh whatever happened uh when he was gonna call in to you know to speak with you on <laughs> well, Bruce has more good intentions than he has follow through sometime. And I know his life's been a little complicated. He moved out to West Texas and then, um, the lady in his life, uh, one needed to be a little closer to, uh, some good medical help. So he's moved back to the area and, uh, I'm sure we'll hear from him when he has the, the time and, and is ready to talk. But, uh, I just know he's got a lot going on. So, uh, um, I know he's still very active in everything he does, but uh, he'll he'll get around to getting back with us when he's ready. Okay, and uh, one last thing, Bob. Uh, where did somebody ask? Where do you find twenty percent grain alcohol? Ooh, twenty percent grain alcohol. Um, you know, I'm not sure about twenty percent, but the the stuff they call Everclear that uh, harkens back to many of our college days, but uh, that's about 98% grain alcohol, and you could dilute that down. But if you're using it for sanitizing purposes, uh, the uh, you know your good old isopropyl alcohol or methanol work just as well for disinfecting. But grain alcohol is... Uh, you know that's that so to speak is drinking alcohol uh, if you were looking for it you uh, could probably talk to uh um oh golly out on uh sign what is uh i'm trying to remember they're out on bandera road analytical scientifics out on bandera road uh they carry a lot of things like that analytical what 
Analytical Scientific. It's a really, really neat store, and they've got everything from microscopes and uh, all sorts of things. It's where a lot of uh, science teachers shop. It's out uh, way out Bandera Road, uh, just a little ways inside Loop 1604. That's probably where I would start looking for it. Okay. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. You're certainly welcome. I, and always keep in mind, uh, my old organic chemistry professor many years ago always described the difference in ethanol and methanol. He used to say ethanol is the alcohol of temporary blindness and methanol is the alcohol of permanent blindness. <laughs> so be sure you know what you're working with. Uh, and uh, I'll look forward to talking again, Javier. Thank you. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. So good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Sir? Morning, sir. Uh, the day's off to a good start. How about yourself? Oh, indeed, yes. I'm uh, I'm in great shape. Thank you. I have two questions, please. One, I have an invasion of grass in a uh, uh, area that is uh, covered in mulch, but the grass is growing up through it, and I need to get rid of that grass. And it's next, uh, very close to Bradford pear trees. Okay, and uh, is it like Texas winter grass, or is it like Bermuda? What kind of grass would you it, guess that it is? It's more. It's more like a Bermuda. Yeah, it's you know it, Bermuda is tough, and that's good when you want it, and that's bad when you're trying to get rid of it. Um, there is no safe way that you can spray it once and be rid of it. Uh, the vinegar and orange oil mix we talk about, especially if you use a strong vinegar, will burn it way back, and if you do it two or three times, it will usually kill it. Probably the surest way, and you can't do it yet because we're not hot enough, but the best way if you just really want to sterilize the soil in that area, when we get into hot summer weather, you simply get a chunk of plastic. Doesn't matter whether it's clear or black. Wait, wet the mulch down, cover it up, leave it for two, three weeks, and it will literally steam clean it. It will literally you know, just just steam it to death. But this is something we normally do in July and August. Right now, the vinegar and orange oil is probably the best you're going to do, but I'll tell you right up front, you're not going to kill it all on the first spraying. Okay, and that mixture would be what, Bob, please? You use uh, two ounces of orange oil and just a little squirt of uh, dish soap and a gallon of vinegar. Okay, great. Thank you. And, My next question. Okay, just just let me say, do not be tempted by the Roundup products, no matter how great they sound, because they're very dangerous for you and very dangerous for your oak trees. So a little bit more work, but it's worth it. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go right ahead. No, that's fine. I, I will never go close to that Roundup <laughs> stuff, I can tell you that. Smart man. <laughs> I stay away from that aisle for uh, 20 feet. I can smell it. I try not to even go in the store if I can avoid it, but I know we're we're speaking the same language. Yes, we are. The second has to do with uh, a recommendation on a tree. I have a uh, area, a large area, and it's full sun, and I'm looking for a tree other than a live oak. Okay. And do we want this tree to live forever? Are we willing to sacrifice uh, a little bit of longevity for fast growth? Is this an area you need shade in yesterday? And how big a tree are you looking for? As large as it needs to be. I don't really care. It's a very large area. Okay. And it is in full sun. 
Your your fastest growing tree that's of reasonable quality, in my opinion, is a Mexican sycamore. That uh-huh. tree will be 30, 40 feet tall in under 10 years. Uh, its okay. average lifespan is probably 50, 60 years, which is not much compared to a pecan tree or a live oak, but uh, it's certainly adequate for most uses. Uh, if you want to sacrifice a little bit of growth for something that's going to live 100 years, you can look at cedar elm. You can look at what they call the Monterey oak, which is the so-called Mexican live oak. Uh, doesn't is not susceptible to real bad damage from oak wilt, which is one thing that makes it popular. Uh, a little slower growing, but very good quality is a burr oak. Um, giant acorns. You don't want one of them to conk you on the head. But uh, there's there's Montezuma cypress. Uh, that tree only lives for two or three thousand years. And uh, it's fairly fairly fast growing. I'm serious. There's one down in the little town of Tule, Mexico, that they've aged at over 2,500 years. And oh uh, yeah, but uh, Montezuma cypress is uh, is a, another very acceptable choice, and it doesn't get the knees that uh, bald cypress does in in wet soils. So um, you know, Mexican sycamore, Monterey oak, burr oak. Uh, if you have deep soil, Lacey's oak is another one. The Montezuma cypress, cedar elm, those those are all excellent trees. If you decide to plant more than one tree, plant several different species. I hate it when somebody comes in and plants 10 of the same kind of tree because then 20 years down the road we get a disease or some problem that affects that tree and you've got nothing left. We saw this with the chestnut blight, the Dutch elm disease, and now with oak wilt. So diversity in the canopy is what we're aiming for. Absolutely. I understand that. Uh, and other than uh, the, uh, uh, what am I trying to think of the uh, uh, flare root flare uh-huh. being, right. being exposed? Is there anything I need to put in the hole uh, as it's planted to get it off to a good start? You know, you can throw a little organic fertilizer if you want to in there, but um, you don't want to make the soil right around the tree. You know, just super good because then the tree has no incentive to grow its roots out, you know, uh, 200 feet in all directions. So unless you're in just horrible soil, we usually recommend use the soil that came out of the hole to put back into the hole. Be sure if the tree is a big tree in a small pot that you slice down, in fact, any tree, slice down the roots on one side to be sure you don't have any girdling roots. And as far as planting, you know, look up Howard Garrett's sick tree treatment. Um, it, its tree does not have to be sick to benefit from the sick tree treatment. It'll tell you about incorporating things like green sand, a little bit of cornmeal, uh, dry molasses, things like that. But but in general, I'm going to tell you, plant it in the same hole. Be sure the root flare is exposed. Mulch it well. And the only thing I usually add to the soil is maybe a little organic fertilizer when I plant. Sounds fantastic. Thank you, Doctor. Appreciate uh, you very much. <laughs> our, our online consultation here. Mike, you get out and have a wonderful weekend. No, no, thank you, sir. All right, only about 45 seconds till news time. Ben and James and Edgar, my next three callers, do want to wish everyone a very happy Easter, very happy Hanukkah. goes on till Thursday, I believe. Uh, however you celebrate this weekend, it's just it's a wonderful season, sort of a renewable, renewal of life, regardless of what your religious beliefs are. But it's just it's kind of the beginning of a new day, a new spring. I think all of us are 
certainly ready for that with everything that's going on in the country, but I don't know about you. I give thanks every year for all the good things that happen and uh, certainly wish you and your family the very, very best for this uh, this very important weekend. Uh, good morning, Ben. Good morning. Uh, I'm sure you've covered this, but I'm sorry I missed it. Uh, <laughs> probably need to cover it again. <laughs> I've got two pastries you know, it's covered in peaches that are about the size of a marble. How much right. should I thin those fruit? Well, I look at individual limbs, and anywhere that you've got a cluster of two or three peaches, I'm going to remove all except one. Uh, average limb, you know, probably no more, you know, on, on a limb coming out from uh, one of your stronger limbs, I'm probably going to leave about two or three peaches per limb. But I, what I do is go through it just anywhere you've got a cluster of peaches coming out, uh, in that case, eliminate all except one, and then stand back and look at it and, and kind of judge if you feel it should be thinned out any further. I certainly don't want peaches touching each other. I want to... <laughs> We'll call it a little social distancing. Doesn't need to be six feet apart, but I, I want those peaches spaced out on the limb a little bit, and definitely none of them growing in clusters. Um, without seeing the tree, it's hard to be more specific than that, but does that give you a good idea? Okay. And also, this past winter, I planted two uh, apple trees, and they're growing really well. Do I need to feed these or anything? Yes, sir. Um, all trees need some fertilizer to you know produce the best results apples are one of those trees that we have to be careful with because uh, if we use the wrong kind of fertilizer we make them more susceptible to some z- diseases this is true of both apples and pears so be absolutely certain you're using a good organic product now that might be medina that might be nature's creation that be might might be maestro grow you certainly don't have to buy a special fertilizer but i would be looking for a good organic product it's going to have all the micronutrients like iron and zinc and probably mycorrhizae in there so uh medina is one of the easiest ones to find nature's creations premium lawn food is also an excellent one maestro makes one called texas tea i'd be happy with any of those and and how often ideally maybe four times a year now if you're really looking to boost growth on anything, I always use the dry fertilizer about four times a year. But if I've got a plant that I just want to push along a little bit more, I'll, along with that, I'll use a liquid fertilizer like the Hester Grow or I love Medina's new liquid fish product. There are also some good things out there from uh, Fox Farms and all good organic liquids. You could use those as often as every two or three weeks. But uh, basic fertilizer, the main meals, uh, I just look at... and that, that's the other nice thing about organics is you can put about 365 days a year doesn't matter whether it's cold or hot wet or dry they don't have to be watered in they don't even they don't go to work until they're watered in but um it's just a lot easier and (laughs) you don't have to be following such a strict set of guidelines thank you so much for the help i appreciate that always a pleasure Ben. good luck with all of your fruit trees and you call anytime I i can answer those questions and I thank you, sir. All right, uh, let's see what James is up to this morning. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm well, sir. How are you this wonderful Easter weekend? Oh, just fine. I'm looking out the window watching these hummingbirds fight over uh, <laughs> the turn on the feeder. 
Well, I hope you have more than one feeder out because otherwise it's going to be it's going to be frustrating. But uh, it it is fun to watch. I I love it too at sundown when they just literally start swarming around them. But yeah, hummingbirds are one of spring's real joys. How much rain you get so far, Bob? Well, if you're talking this week. Um, I, I've not been blessed with a whole lot of rain. When we had the, the bigger storms move through a couple of days ago, I got 12 one-hundredths. Um, but they're saying that's going to be a little different this afternoon. But, you know, I've, I've got enough. I think most people in South Texas have gotten enough rain to keep the surface of the soil nice and moist. A few lucky people like yourself have gotten those rains that really soak down deeply. We haven't had that kind of rain widespread across the hill country, and uh, my creek's running, but it's not rushing, you might say, so I'm always ready for more, but I'm sure not complaining. I've seen springs a lot drier than this one. Yeah, we've got three and a half inches so far in the gauge, uh, and it's supposed yeah. to rain tonight. Let's just hope it all comes down in the liquid form and not in the form of hail, and uh, of course, I'm I'm I think the weathermen are like the other news media. The more gloom and doom they can spread around, the the more they think it helps them. But uh, you just you never take Texas weather for granted. And unfortunately, you and I both have seen some some pretty good hailstorms or some pretty bad hailstorms in our life. And I just certainly hope this afternoon's not one of them. For the last few years, these spring rains have come with hail, so we're uh, we're covering the tomatoes with a smart net, and then. Yeah. Uh, the uh, squash gets a uh, 30% shade cloth uh, yeah. right before the storms come in. And you use, use the little hoops to uh, to hold that shade cloth up, as I recall, and that's that's a great way to do it where you where you have a, a garden. Now, you know, those folks that only have two squash plants and four tomatoes have to be a little bit more creative, but you can certainly do that with a very small garden. And, and shade cloth properly supported is enough to stop you know, pretty much every hailstone I've ever seen. Yeah, it's uh, it seems like uh, the last couple of years have have had hail with the the spring storms, and if you don't protect them, you'll get hailed out. And if you do protect them, you won't get any hail at all. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's what we say at the nursery. The better prepared we are, the less likely it is to happen. Um, the reason I called is uh, I've got two. Uh, three foot by 130 foot uh, growing beds. Uh-huh. And they're uh, they're seeded with uh, the iron and clay cowpeas, and they're up oh eight inches or so. Uh, they're I don't know if it's the rain or my lack of uh, attention, but the new growth is chlorotic on the mm-hmm. cowpeas. So uh, I went out and spread uh, one, two, three. Uh, 120 pounds of growing green on a couple of the beds. Uh-huh. I, I cover the ground with that stuff. Yeah, is, me too. And my question to you is, is there enough uh, green sand in the growing green to where I don't need to concern myself with uh, spreading the green sand? Oh, you know... <laughs> It's that that chlorosis that you're looking at is a combination, like you so accurately observed, 
of moisture, its combination of temperature, and uh, it's a lot of different things. And sometimes it's just hard to get them to green up. And I, I know, Stuart, I don't know... Um, uh, green sand, of course, his green sand mine, where he always got his green sand shut down, and he's had a little bit harder time finding good quality green sand. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that there's as much green sand as there once was, but I tell you honestly, I think what you're seeing is as much a nitrogen deficiency as it is a green, as an iron deficiency. So, if I were going to do anything, James, I'd probably be you know, just using a foliar uh, feeding at least once or twice on there um, instead of trying to ask them to take everything up through the roots. I, I don't like a lot of foliar feeding, but sometimes I think uh, that's one of the fastest ways to, uh, you know, to get them looking good. They're going to grow fine with that growing green alone. The new growth is going to start looking a whole lot better, but it sure doesn't happen overnight, especially when you get chilly and uh I was going to tell you, don't don't put that uh, firewood away yet, because there are going to be two, three mornings this next week. You're going to be sitting next to that stove waiting for it to warm up before you go out. Yeah, uh, 44, I think they're calling. Uh, well, I'm if if you believe the weatherman, which I hate to do, they're they're saying 39 for Wednesday morning in the hill country. So uh, 44 may be a little optimistic, but you know, not going to worry about it till we get a little closer to it because they'll okay. they'll change it ten times between now and then. Great minds think alike. Uh, I got a squash row next to one of my uh, cover crop rows, and I was going to hit them with some 612. 612.6 Medina plant uh, uh-huh. when I spray the squash uh, on Monday. Uh-huh. But I was going to hit hit the uh, cover crop row with with that same. Uh, I think uh, you're I think you're line. you're doing it you're doing exactly what I do. Just be sure you get the plant, not the lawn. The lawn's got too much nitrogen in it, but the has to grow plant. I think is really gonna gonna move things along well. Well, we're we're, we're getting. Uh, has to grow plant in gallons, but I think uh, I'm not going to buy the gallons anymore. I think I'm going to buy the five gallons. Yeah, you buy the five gallons, and, uh, you know, if you want, you talk to Stuart, and he can get it for you in a 55-gallon drum or in one of those big old carboys, depending on how much you use. Well, I don't know. Five will do me for a season. and uh, <laughs> Okay. I guess that'll be enough. Uh, I had a question on hummingbirds. Yes, sir. The when you mix up the sugar water and you store it in the refrigerator, uh huh, in the pitcher, uh, how many should I put a like a a date sticker on that and then change it out in a certain amount of time? No, if you're keeping it refrigerated, uh, you're going to be fine. Anything that would cause it to ferment or go sour, it's it's not going to happen unless it gets to room temperature, and you're going to want to stir it up good. But uh, that that sugar water is going to keep for a long time for you. I, I would occasionally be sure you empty it all out and mix them fresh, but I wouldn't be concerned about date stickers on it. It's uh, You keep it refrigerated, it's going to keep for, oh, a month or two. Oh, okay. And um, do I need to concern myself with changing the uh, sugar water uh, in the feeders? Absolutely. Absolutely. How many days? When it's cool, I'd say about every four or five days. When it's hot, uh, probably every two or three days. 
Um, I just, I kind of judge, and early in the season, up until this week, I've only been filling my feeders about a third full, and that's been about three days' worth, and then I wash them pretty good between times. I've had, uh, the hummingbirds have got a lot of their buddies out there with them now, so I'm filling my feeders, uh, and I've either got two or three feeders out most of the time. I'm filling my feeders full, and they're drinking it down in about three days. And, and I look to change it out every three days, whether they're empty or not. Occasionally, uh, there have been a couple of times this week that they drank it all in a single day. So uh, just if if they're not drinking it all, just stop filling your feeders quite as full, and you won't, you won't worry about throwing some up and away when you clean them. Oh, that's good advice. Well, thanks for taking my call and answering all my questions, Bob. I sure appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you, James. You get out and have a uh, wonderful Easter weekend, and uh, we'll visit again soon. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Bob. Happy Good morning, sir. And the same to you, sir. Thank you. Um, I was calling about caterpillar control. We've got some eating some small oak trees, and before they clean them off, I was just, I've forgotten what you've told us about how to control caterpillars. <laughs> well, the best control for those blasted little caterpillars would have been to put the trichogramma wasp out about a month or six weeks ago because that little tiny wasp, and the way you put them out, of course, you hang out a little card that's got it's coated with uh, eggs containing the wasp larvae. And the problem with that is we never know which year they're going to be bad. And the other problem is that the wasps kill or control the caterpillars by destroying the eggs before they hatch out. Once the eggs have hatched out, there's just not a lot you can do. I'm not big on spraying things way up in the air. If your trees are really small where you can really control where you're spraying, you can control those caterpillars with the BT spray or with spinosad. But remember, you're, you may be hitting beneficials and other things that you really don't want to, uh, that you don't want to be destroying. So, uh, the good news, I guess, is that even if the caterpillars eat a lot of the leaves, the trees always seem to come back out and recover. But, uh, I mean, put, put down on your 2021 calendar to, uh, release those trichogramma sometime toward late January and early February, and you will never ever see those caterpillars because little trichogramma will, will destroy the eggs before they even get started. If the weather stays as warm as it has been up till now, we're starting to see a fair number of the paper wasps out, and they kill the caterpillars, you know, pretty effectively, but it's just, uh, once they get out and get going, it's not real easy to get rid of them. Yeah, I've been just plucking them off my hand. Now, I have two very small oak trees, like one-inch diameter, and those were the yeah. two I was concerned with. Yeah, but. if if you want to spray those with BT, get your BT, add a little bit of molasses to it. Uh, you're spraying such a small area, you're fine. BT stays on the leaves, and any caterpillar that eats a leaf with the BT on it is going to die pretty shortly. Um, you can also use spinosad. Spinosad's a safe spray, but you have to actually get it on the caterpillars. But two one-inch oh, okay. caliper trees, yeah, I'm, you, you can spray those if you need to. But just if you're not spraying above much above your head height, then you're probably okay. Well, that sounds great. Thank you a lot. You have a great day. You do the same, Brad. Appreciate the call. Okay, Lynn is up next. Good morning, Lynn. Hello. Hi. I have a, a red and black. A bug on my mountain laurel tree, uh-huh. and 
last year I had uh, the worms, web worms at the end of the branches, and this right. year now I have the bug and the new growth is stunted. Okay. So do I spread with spinosad? Well, you can, but your your mountain laurel is telling you that it's not happy. And okay. the things, yeah, your mountain laurel is either staying too wet or its root flare is not exposed or possibly both. Because, you know, in nature, mountain laurels just simply don't get problems. Uh, those little caterpillars and with those little red and black bugs, we call them mountain laurel bugs because that seems to be about the the main plant that they get on but they only mm-hmm. get after a plant when uh you know when it is in a little bit of stress so overall your best thing i mean you you can either control the cause of the problem or you can control the symptoms the symptoms being the bugs which you can kill with spraying but the root cause of the problem and not to make a horrible pun which i just accidentally <laughs> did but go to go to howard garrett's website which is dirtdoctor.com and look at what um, he calls a sick tree treatment. It's going to involve things like apple cider vinegar, a little bit of green sand, a little bit of cornmeal, some good compost uh, after you've exposed the root flare. And you'll bring your mount laurels back to, you know, totaling complete health. The other thing that sometimes you need to do if you have an automatic sprinkler system, you may need to shut off the sprinkler head that is closest to that tree because uh, really the two most common problems are buried root flare and staying too wet and those just go hand in hand. Okay, I'll check the root flare. I wondered about that, and I also thought about the sick, sick tree treatment, but it is it only gets water from nature. Well, it's, then that that's a though. yeah, that's a good thing, but uh do check the root flare and and sick tree treatment like we were, Howard and I were talking last week and saying it's not just for sick trees. It's it's good for healthy trees and it makes healthy trees even healthier. So uh, that's, you know, that that will get your Mount Laurel back in good health. In the meantime, as long as you understand you're just controlling symptoms, you can spray a little BT out there if you like. A little BT or a little bit of spinosad. BT or spinosad. Yeah, I guess one thing about spinosad is it would get the Mount Laurel bugs as well as the caterpillars, so you'd only be making one spraying. So that's probably the best way to go. And is there any harm to the birds that like to get in the tree? No, none whatsoever. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, Lynn. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. Goodbye. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning, sir. I have a question about uh, a Meyer lemon. I bought it probably four years ago and left it in the pot that it came in. And probably the first year, you know, I probably had eight or ten lemons. And then I put it in a bigger pot with uh, potting soil. Okay. And I, I, when it was hot, I couldn't keep it wet enough i could hardly leave town without it almost uh, dying so i right. finally put it in the ground uh-huh. i did that three months ago and it's mulched uh, i mixed in a little bit of granular growing green uh, before i planted it mixed in some compost mulched it it was full of blooms about oh, see a month ago and now there's not a single lemon on there i don't know what i mean it was full of blooms but there's not a single fruit Oh, yeah. I never um, saw anything on it, you know, chewing on it or, or eating the flowers off or anything. Right. I, I always worry in a situation like that. I, I mean, it's it's rare that you'll have nothing, but uh, 
um, if you if if the blooms don't get pollinated, uh, obviously you're not going to have fruit. And this has been a weird year. Uh, I've not seen nearly as many bees as usual. They're starting to show up a little bit more, but um, uh, my my first suspicion, you know, is always that you just just didn't get much pollination, and. I always tell people about the health of a plant, and the the way a plant looks on it at any given point is a reflection of the care that it got two or three months ago. And if it was having a problem with getting a little too dry, you know that could have some influence on it. But I, I it's very unusual that you just have none. I would not be surprised if the for the tree to put on a few more buds. I'm not going to totally write it off. But uh, I, I think lack of pollinators is the single most likely reason that you don't see a lot of fruit set. Now, the fruit, as you know, can be very tiny. We're talking English pea size or smaller, but I know you know what you're looking for there. So, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I, looked, I, looked, I looked before I called you this morning. Uh, yeah, that was my theory, too. I never saw any bees on it. Uh, right. Uh, I sometimes have queen's crown once it gets hot enough and the bees show up. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I agree that I, I have not seen, and I have a place in the country too with quite a few flowers, and uh, yeah. I just don't see hardly any bees. Yeah, mine for me has changed some this week because I've got a huge pittosporum outside my back door that is in full bloom. And in fact, every evening when I when I walk through the door, they say one of the one of the signs if you've picked up the COVID nineteen is you lose your sense of smell. And I walk down the sidewalk and say, "Thank God I don't have COVID because I sure smell that pittosporum today." But looking ahead, I guess good news is that if a if a Myers lemon skips a year in producing fruit the following year is usually overloaded and you know in in hindsight a couple of things that you could have done it always helps to put out some sugar water Uh, the bees are attracted to that the reason they swarm your hummingbird feeders periodically and if all else fails get yourself that little paintbrush and spend 15 minutes uh, just going over that tree dusting from one flower to the next to the next and you can do an effective job of uh of taking care of what the bees should have been doing for you. So if the tree's healthy, if the new growth looks good, um, it's, you know, kind of like the spurs. <laughs> Wait till next year. Uh, we're really going to do well then. And I think the, the, the lemon has, has an even better chance of doing really well, but I'm not going to go down that road right now. But, uh, um, you can always hand pollinate if you don't have the bees, but, uh, it's not the end of the world. There are plenty of other things that are going to grow and produce for you. And you're probably going to have a super bumper crop next year. And, and don't be completely surprised if that tree just here and there doesn't produce another flower bud or two. Okay, well, yeah, I, I thought about using a brush. I've heard you talk about that before, but the flowers are so tiny. I thought, oh, I don't oh, want yeah. to go to the trouble. Well, <laughs> but, uh, you, you don't use a five-inch brush that you use for doing the side of the house. <laughs> you get one of those little real fluffy kind of brushes. In fact, I know they use them for dusting electronic equipment, things like that. They're just little uh, kind of real bushy half-inch uh, uh end into the brush and uh again you don't have to really see what you're doing you're just dusting around inside the flower transferring pollen from the uh anther to the to the pistol and uh it it's not a real complicated process okay well i appreciate that i'll be hopeful for maybe next year 
There you go. And if all else fails, go out and buy yourself another Myers lemon because most of them that you purchase these days will have at least a little bit of fruit already sitting ready to go on it for you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure, Ron. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Bye bye. All right. Next up is Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good. There we go. There's the ding. Hey. Yeah, good there morning, you. everybody. Yeah. Good morning, Bob. Okay. Quick question. Can not spin a sad BT go bad, especially if it got frozen over the winter? I don't think freezing would hurt it nearly as much as getting too terribly hot uh, would. I suspect that it's, it's probably still fine. Old Barney Grimm, when he was head of Greenlight, told me that he felt like uh, BT had a shelf life of about 30 years providing that it didn't get overheated, so I doubt the cold has really affected right. it that much. See, that, okay, that's why I had bought some in the fall, uh-huh. used it, <coughs> sits out in the cabinet and all that, which is outside, yeah. over winter. Then I had uh, caterpillars that I was going to spray, mix it up correctly, spray them. Next morning, they're still doing great. Two days later, they're still growing. Like well, it can take up to a week. You know, for them to, it's a stomach poison is what it is. And, right. um, okay. and, and the bigger the caterpillar, the longer it's going to take to knock them out. But, um, I, you know, if in doubt, it's not very expensive. And, uh, just remember to store it somewhere, you know, in the <laughs> utility room or, I mean, it's not a dangerous product. It's not going to, uh, you do have to keep it away from animals. I've found that the blasted raccoons and possums, for whatever reason, they'll chew a hole in the side of your uh, BT bottle. I can't imagine what it is they're looking for in there. But uh, just, just you know, keep it inside where it's not going to get too hot or too cold. But, um, it, and I, you're a good gardener, so I know you mixed it correctly. Probably add a little bit of molasses to it. But, uh, it's, it's not unusual for it to take up to a week to kill your larger caterpillars. Number two, I've no, you noticed, mentioned it. There are a ton of June bugs. Yeah. Yeah. People That's better get those I mean, beneficial. I... Yeah. And it's going to be yeah, a bad year for beneficial... fleas, too. Yeah. Yeah, I got mine from y'all, what, a week ago, two weeks ago. Anyway, yeah, but I'm doing the walk this morning with the puppy dogs. And uh-huh. it's like everywhere I'm looking, there are just June bugs everywhere. So, yeah, people need to yeah. come out. And and kind Thank of you like, your, oh. like your caterpillars, um, don't panic if two weeks from now you're seeing big old grub worms because the beneficial nematodes – take a long time to kill a mature grub, but the little grubs that do all the damage, we call them the first and second larval instars, those guys, the beneficial nematodes, kill very quickly. So, um, Well, they came uh, in last year. Yeah. yeah. They, weren't they buried in and stayed there almost eight months or whatever right. they come out? Right. So my, my point is, though, is that your nematodes are out there killing the new grubs, and so... Uh, Kind of like I'm telling you, don't worry about the bigger caterpillars who are taking a while to die. Don't worry about the bigger grub worms because it, it may take two, three, four weeks for the beneficial nematodes to kill them. But know that your beneficial nematodes are doing the job they need to do on the damaging grubs, which is the little bitty ones. So uh, no reason to panic when you still find some big grubs uh, two weeks from now. Do you believe we're going to be in the 30s next week in April? 
it's uh <laughs> it's and, and whenever anybody says that to me i said oh yeah it must be global warming not to uh not isn't it funny we never hear about global warming anymore or many other serious problems everybody's so focused on the the current serious situation but yeah it's uh oh they're it's, related. It's a, Don't you know that one calls the other <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna gonna maybe put another fire in the iron stove and i definitely haven't uh put away my long johns or my little heavier jacket and uh this time next week we should be back to more typical weather so you get out have a good easter and thank we'll you. talk again bye bye always good to talk to you thank you, you sir ah uh-huh, you too bye all right let's get back to gardening we'll finish up this hour with shirley and bill and shirley is up first good morning shirley Good morning. Um, Good morning. I am I am looking at my sweet olive bush that I got from you all, and okay. wondering um, which has just been in the ground for oh about three or four weeks. Does okay. it like lots of water? It wants to be watered very thoroughly when it's watered because those roots, you know, they're already 12 inches down in the ground. So when you water, soak it real thoroughly, but then let it go until the uh, soil is dry about half an inch deep. I always tell people there's no such thing as too much water, but there's too often. So water it really, really thoroughly. Then when it's dry about an inch deep, then water it thoroughly again. You'll never go wrong that way. Okay. And just the regular fertilizer growing green? Growing green is excellent for your sweet olive, and uh, every year at that middle of the winter when nothing else is uh, making you happy, you'll have the most fragrant flowers in the world. Sweet olive is just a really, really neat plant. And uh, another question is um, my avocado tree. It is about five foot tall. It has just two, it's fairly new, two little Uh avocados starting on it, but it's got quite a few, well, I wouldn't say quite a few, completely yellow leaves now it's by my garden vegetable garden and i water Uh it quite a bit could i water it too much are the new leaves on the old growth or on the new new growth it's just interspersed okay well we'll try to look real carefully go in and look at individual limbs if the yellowing is an old leaf it's not really a problem it probably got too dry at some point if the yellowing is a new leaf then you're probably keeping it a little bit too wet my suspicion is that they're old leaves and not really anything to worry about so just just go out to the end of the limbs if the newest growth on your avocado tree looks good and healthy and bright green uh you're doing fine nothing at all to worry about yeah it is it uh, the new new growth is quite green it is then, kind of in the middle of the plant with a big yeah. big leaf but not to uh, worry watering for that is pretty it's much the same, the same as- yeah pretty much every plant out there is going to be the same when you water it flood it and then don't water it again till it's dry you know half an inch or so deep and uh that that other than a handful of things that like it really wet like uh you know umbrella grass and things like that and a handful of plants that like it really dry like maybe desert willow or something um you follow that uh, water thoroughly let it get dry and knuckle deep and you won't go wrong with anything uh because my citrus trees that i got from you are just loaded with again <laughs> this year my orange and my lemon tree are just loaded with and and i and my i have to tell you i had my lime tree in a pot and 
Uh, and I had to cover it, of course, every year. But I'm going to put it in the ground. It has not done. You did say that it needs quite a bit of fertilizer, which I have been doing pretty regularly. Right. So, uh, But I'm going to put it in the ground because watering it, is a problem in the pot. <laughs> it can be, but surely if you're doing that well, I'm not going to try to tell you how to do it. It sounds like you're doing everything right. <laughs> I can wrap it in the ground as well as in the pot, I think. So. You certainly can. If you had to, since lime trees don't get as big, you can put a little mini greenhouse over it if you had to. So you just keep up the good work. Uh, okay. Well, goodness, you have a good Easter, Bob. Good talking to you. It's good to talk to you and you and your family do the same. Thank you. All right, let's finish up the hour with Bill, and hopefully I'll uh, have a little time for a couple of announcements after that. Good morning, Bill. Well, good morning. Thank you, and uh, happy uh, happy Easter to you and the gang. Thank you, sir. Thank I, you. Uh, I uh, have been out a couple of times recently to the Bitters Road landfill, and they have yes, sir. a product uh, – that they're giving away at the moment, and I tried to get somebody to tell me what's in it, they have just said it's the green cans, and uh-huh. it's mulch, it's dark, it uh, hangs together kind of nicely. I'm very impressed with it, mm-hmm. and I was just wondering, have you heard anything about it? Well, it's, um, you know, it's it's not as uniform as mulch that you would buy, but it is very good material. If you want to make it even better, um, you know, mix a little bit of compost with it, and you'll have what we call a living mulch. And it is basically they can't control what's in it because uh, uh, what it is is, and I hate to use the term waste because nothing in nature is really ever wasted, but it's what people have put out on the curb in the form of, you know, clippings and leaves and things like that. But it's it's a very good product. My only precaution to you would be to, uh, to wear gloves when you're handling it, at least at first until it's really fully broken down because I know of a lady that went out and got a load one time, got down on her hands and knees to spread it, and learned to her grief a few hours later there had been a bit of poison ivy chopped up in there as well. So that's, that's you know, beyond that, I, it's just it's a really good material, but I would treat it like what it is, and that is just a blended material. And you know it was all pretty much just stuff out of the yard, but it doesn't mean there might not have been something like poison ivy or some thorny things and all in there so wear some gloves handle it carefully and i would use it only on the surface i would never blend that into the soil but as a mulch on the surface it's good mix some compost with it and it's great uh my my question is if somebody had some uh, hay left over from halloween stuck it in their green can it went out there i guess it would get so uh uh shall we say, dispersed, that a pick mm-hmm. kind of situation would not be a possibility? It would be a remote possibility. As they like to say, the answer to pollution is dilution. And quite frankly, you know, everything in those cans is from urban areas as opposed to rural areas. So the chance of your getting any kind of contamination like that is extremely low. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. I sure do appreciate it. I appreciate the call this morning, Bill. Thank you, sir, and goodbye. Right now, we have the pleasure of visiting with the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. How's everybody hanging in there? 
Well, I guess I'm lucky like you. I've got a couple of puppy dogs in here with me, <laughs> which I which I don't normally have over at the radio station. But you know, life's uh, life's good. I tell you, the one thing that uh, I, I guess people just have an awful lot of time on their hands, and I've sure seen some humorous stuff in the middle of. Uh, of all of this. So one of them said that who knew that when we moved our clocks forward we were going to go from standard time to the twilight zone. <laughs> but but this one really made me made me think of you because of products that we both enjoy. But do you know and and you always talk about how uh Old Stanley Marcus is a fellow that taught you about the importance of not touching your face. Do you know the best way a gardener can keep from touching his face while he's gardening? Have a beer keep in each tools hand. In his hand. Keep keep a beer in each hand. A cold beer in each hand. <laughs> there, you <go. laughs> there you go. Hey, it's uh, one thing I wanted to be sure to talk about because I promised a caller earlier that I would ask you about it was uh, growing mushrooms, edible mushrooms. Have you had any experience? Have you ever done any of that? And uh, if so, where have you gotten your supplies? No, I've toyed with it, and I've been meaning to. The uh, closest thing I came to it was years ago. I went to the Kerr Center in Poto, Oklahoma, and they they do a Uh lot of really interesting research. And one of the things they were doing back in those days, and that was, I don't know, 20 years or more ago, so I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but they had a mushroom uh, farm uh, operation going, and all it was was just pieces of... uh, you know, big tree limbs cut, uh-huh. and they had them uh, uh, propped up at angles, and they drilled holes in them, you know, and had had the mushrooms uh, growing. We also had somebody in the mushroom business that grew them on these little square cakes, uh-huh. and they, they would at some point, just like the uh, beds of, of growing mushrooms that you buy as mushroom compost that I'm not a huge fan of, yeah. Um, at some point, they have to discard them. They don't grow the mushrooms that well anymore. Yeah. And I played around with using those things as ground busted up and ground up and in beds, and well, I didn't see much benefit out of it at all. It's really interesting. <laughs> I guess it's because of the the ingredients that they put in that mixture. There's synthetic fertilizer and bunch of oh, stuff yeah. in there that apparently just doesn't work all that well for stimulating biological activity other than the mushrooms that they're trying to grow. I think that's the key. They're trying to get the mushrooms to grow but not have any other microorganisms uh, growing. So yeah. that's about all the experience I have with it. Yeah, we we did the same thing. We we tried some of the little kits, and I I just have to say the results were varied. And the people who really watched it intensively got the light just right, the water just right. They grew a few mushrooms, but uh, I, I I didn't really know where where to tell them to try unless it was somebody like one of the commercial operations. But it, it's interesting that uh, I guess they can Google it and maybe the operation up in Oklahoma. It'd be, be fun to know if they're still doing it, but it's one of those things that, I, to me, it's a curiosity. I don't think anybody's ever going to go into mushroom production in the backyard, so to speak. No, I think it's a pretty technical kind of deal and pretty sophisticated. I know some guys that have invested in it in the past, friends of mine from the past, they've lost a bunch of money doing it. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's really about about all I know. But I do know that when they when they build those beds, 
the mushrooms grow really well at first, and then as the ingredients, the straw and the various raw ingredients in there break down, the production of the mushrooms goes down as well. Yeah. And and that's what you get when you buy the mushroom compost. If you use mushroom compost, I recommend strongly what you were saying a minute ago, mix some other quality compost with it, and then it will function just as a carbon source, and it'll work pretty well. But by itself, boy, I don't... I don't see it being too uh, effective. You know, <laughs> speaking of microbes, though, that was something I was going to bring up today. I don't know about down there, but it, the hottest thing being talked about by the chemical pushers around here is this new chemical that is a control of uh, take-all patch. Do you all have the same thing going on down there? I know we don't. I, I, I say we don't. I'm afraid I don't really keep up real closely what what all the extension service is up to but i've I, i've not heard of much new i last i heard they were still dumping peat moss on it to try to control it but what what are they doing up in dallas yeah they don't recommend the peat moss anymore which is kind of interesting <laughs> they recommend this product called scott's disease x and it's oh my x and it's um uh a zoc a strobin a strobin is the chemical. It's also uh, pyrazole, and I did a, I did some research on it, uh, trying to see what the dangers are, and looked at the white papers and the research that uh, are about it. And it that won't surprise you. What comes up is that it is a uh, uh, it's no known known significant effects or critical hazards and <laughs> cautions on the uh, label. But it, I had already, already had the uh, microorganisms on my mind. I was going to bring it up with you anyway because the golf course that we started playing again has pretty severe infestations on the zoysia teas, uh-huh. and it it's a curious look. It it has the uh, appearance of brown patch, you know, being circular and then spreading into different shapes but it's a different color it's it's Hmm. kind of a gray lightish color and i I was thinking about i've been doing a little research on it i was going to try to write a paper on it myself you know the uh the the turf funguses the turf fungal diseases are kind of like damping off diseases i think in Mm -hmm. greenhouse operations you you have a soup a lot of times of rhizoctonia which is the common uh right right uh, Brown, brown patch, patch, take all patch, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then you got, well, take all patch is a completely different chemical. It's a real long name that starts with G that I can't even pronounce. But the other uh, things that are in damping off that you'll run into in turf are fusarium and pythium and and, and um, one other, rhizoctonia is in the mix, too. So right. it'd be interesting uh, to find out. I'm going to talk to the superintendent out there and see if he sent it off. The only way you could know for sure would be to, send it to A&M or some testing lab to see what the organism is. But even if there's not a toxic, you know, the, it's the same thing we talk about on Roundup and some of these other things. No, it's not going to cause a person to kill over and drop dead, you know, mm-hmm. or, or get sick. But what is it going to do to microorganisms in your body? You know, that's, yep. the, that's the question all over uh, again. And, uh you know, they don't test for that at all. They just test for acute toxicity. Right. 
Right. They, and that, they it, do have some conversation in the papers I've found about there being some genetic um, worry, you know, that they at least address it, that it, there could be something there. But they kind of throw all the toxic chemicals into that uh, same category. And uh, the other thing that's interesting is that the term PPE comes up quite a bit. Now, I, didn't even heard, I didn't even know what that was until the coronavirus came around. Personal protection Protective. equipment. Yeah. 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 And they're recommending that you wear it uh, kind of old Bible way type of thing. Uh, and that's about the, about the most of the warnings that they give you for this stuff. It's just criminal to me that they that they are so casual about it, and like you just brought up, they don't talk about what it may do to the microbiome in your gut. And man, if there was ever a time that we all need to be thinking about our own immune systems, it's right now because that's that's the only way you're gonna head off a problem with COVID or flu or anything else, and it's the only way you're gonna heal from it if you have the misfortune of getting it. And it just, it's just crazy to me that the government, you know, doesn't seem to pay any attention to that. But I'm, you know, when you, there, there are many different reasons, but, uh, I think any thinking person would, would be reluctant to put anything like that out. And I don't know about you, but my suggestion for controlling that is two step. Number one, get away from synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. And number two, go with basically the sick tree treatment, which we could modify a little bit and call the sick lawn treatment with cornmeal and a few other things, and, and your grass will get over it. Well, that's exactly right. I think that the cornmeal is, is one of the most important ingredients in it, but the whole sick tree treatment is the thing because we're doing the reverse of what they're doing. We're st- trying to stimulate. We are stimulating biological activity. Yep. controlling it by overriding the, uh, the the pathogens. Well, keep an eye on it. If y'all haven't run into it yet, you will. They, I guess the way they came up with the idea was that there's, uh, it, it has been used in growing cumin in India and some other places and trying to fight uh, damping off disease, you know, which mm. is that, that soup, that mixture right. of fungal diseases. And so they came up with it as a uh, as a treatment for the takeoff patch. Again, it's a zoxistrobin, and it's sold as Scott's Disease X, and it's certainly not anything that uh, that we would recommend. A zoxistrobin. <laughs> that that no, what a name. Now, if yep. it says Scott's on the label, I'm going to be suspicious from the very beginning. But uh, well, uh, it's an official A and M recommendation now. Um, well, what a surprise! Talking about it, yeah, what a surprise! I wonder, wonder who's paying for some research over at A and M right now, uh, yeah. if it's not Scott's Miracle Grow. But and, and I think the the other thing too that we we just always have to talk about is the role that synthetic nitrogen plays in it because Absolutely. on a good organic program, you just it's just not. Not as bad, but your typical Scott's fertilizer is nothing but synthetic nitrogen. And, and it's just, I, I find it, if it weren't so serious, I find it amusing that half their products create a problem and then they want to sell you a different product to control the problem that their other products contributed to. And that, it's, That's exactly how it works. And the, this place where I was telling you I saw this disease just yesterday, there's synthetic nitrogen just visible on the ground right now. It's yeah. uh, and the reason is the, the turf's kind of thin. didn't look very good for going through all this warm weather and incredible rain and everything. It should look a lot better than it does. 
Have you played yes. Tierra Verde out in Arlington? I know uh, at one point, at least, they were almost totally organic. Uh, do you know how their course is holding up this year? I haven't talked to them uh, lately. You know, I consulted with them originally on the on the thing, and I, somebody was asking me about it the other day. I need to get back with Mark, the, the guy that was the superintendent in charge of all the uh, uh, golf courses over there now, and I, I've been meaning to call him and get back and see what's going on. I haven't done it yet. Might be a little field research there. I think you need to examine the whole course pretty pretty close up. <laughs> well, it's interesting what people are doing. Of course, Abbott is considering shutting down all the golf courses like uh, Como did in New York. Um, but I don't know that he. I don't think he's pulled the trigger yet. But it, uh, where we play, you can't touch the pin. The cups are reversed, so the ball won't even go down in the cup. Interesting. And, and you've got to keep the social distancing, and only foursomes are allowed. You can't ride carts. You can't pull the carts from uh, the course. It, mm-hmm. it varies at, between the uh, private clubs and the uh, the public courses. Sure. I, I'm not going to be surprised if Abbott doesn't, doesn't shut them all down. He's certainly been talking about it. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's all wait and see. I... I, I just I, I know the clubs love people using electric carts because it speeds up play and they get more people on the course. But it'd be it'd be a real good thing for the health of the general population if if everybody had to go back to walking the course <laughs> the way that that I did in my college years. But uh, golf courses are just I mean you talk about a you talk about a haven for insects and disease and all sorts of cultural problems uh, because of. You know, this they're, they're not so good practices, and look at all the money they spend rebuilding the greens. Look at all the things you gain by going organic, and just always amazes me that they don't, but we know it's the old follow-the-money thing. Well, that and doing what the peers, uh, peer pressure is incredibly uh, powerful, what they learned in college, what they learned from other superintendents and all that. There's a few changing, but not too many. So I was going to ask you about a plant that I've just met that I've fallen in love with. It's going to be interesting to see if there's any built-in problems with it. Have you uh, grown having experience with a native fern called wavy cloak fern? I've never heard of wavy cloak fern. What uh, do you know the genus on it? Either. Huh. I got it from Green uh, Green Lake Nursery here, and I, so I don't know if other growers are growing it or not, but I got it kind of as a, um, she said, why don't you try this, it's kind of interesting, and I, so I tried one of them, or three of them, put them in a place where they get a little morning sun and afternoon shade. Later on, she said, well, they really like full sun the best. They, If you the root system gets too hot, they'll have a little damage, but I said, I had an interesting thing happen on mine. I had one turn completely brown, and it looked like it was dry and crispy and dead as a hammer. She said, it rejuvenated, it came back, didn't it? (laughs) I said, it sure did. I can't believe it. It doesn't look like anything happened. What it does, the backside of the fronds are are cinnamon color. Uh Uh-huh. It's a real pretty fern, and when they get dry, they curl up, and all you can see is the brown uh, reverse side, and it looks like they're dead as a doornail, and then they get a little water, and they just come right back to life. It's uh, really a cool plant um, so far. There may be some built-in problems, but I don't know what it would be. It's a native uh, uh, plant to Texas and 
Arizona in the south uh, in uh, arid areas. It sounds like kind of like the old so-called resurrection fern, which is a selaginella that I was so amazed to find growing in the Big Bend area, but I've never heard of this. I was just Googling it real quickly, and uh, the it's, it's astrolepis. Astrolepis, it yeah, and they, they call it wavy, scaly cloak fern, yep. <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. Oh, that's something we're going to have to look for. Oh, that's fun. I love it. We, somebody, uh, one of our growers delivered a new plant, which we've determined was a morning glory. And I need to, I hope they have it all gone, but it's the most beautiful foliage I think I've ever seen. Uh, just, just many shades of green and gray in the foliage and then a beautiful flower to go along with it. And, uh, and, and I made that comment. It's not often that I see a plant that I have never in my life seen, but, uh, that's, that's another one. Certainly, I don't think it's going to be nearly as hardy and tough as the wavy, scaly cloak fern is, but, uh, that's fun. I'm going to, I'm going to look into, look into that that's that looks really neat and it sounds like something that uh somebody at least is producing commercially if you're seeing it in the nurseries yeah yeah it's it's pretty cool it's got kind of a gray green color it's not a real uh-huh. bright green but it's, it's just really pretty very nice texture and i'm gonna play around with it in different settings and see it sounds like if you could set up a situation where it got full sun on the foliage and the and the soil stayed uh stayed cool which mulch will take care of uh that's yeah. the best place for it to be that's that's like we tell people if they want to try growing clematis and some of them grow some of them don't but it's what i always tell them top in the sun roots in the shade yeah. and uh, i i think that's probably true of practically every plant in the world but some plants just demand it especially here in the, in the south <laughs> i guess you bet. Well, it. Uh, I just hope that we uh, that we avoid. They're they're mentioning two cities. They mentioning are Dallas and San Antonio as a potential for severe weather this afternoon. So hopefully it'll just uh, that'll pass us by, and we could always use a little bit more rain. But um, golly, there's several things that uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, one of them is that uh, I have a source, and I have to thank David Vaughn for it. And I've got to look into it a little bit further. But we're getting. Uh, one cubic foot bags of biochar. I haven't opened one yet, but uh, looks like uh, at a reasonable price that that's going to be something fun to play with uh, if it if it does in turn to turn out to be good. And Roberta was pointing out to me last week. She said you and Howard always talk about sick tree treatment, but not everybody has a computer, and y'all need to take three minutes to quickly run through exactly what the sick tree treatment is. So in uh, in, in five minutes or less, uh, explain how you would the sick tree treatment. You bet. Um, just real quick first, uh, uh, is the biochar being made there somewhere is David involved in it, or is that coming? No, he's he's not involved in it. But he he brought a bought a pallet of it, and then he's kind of distributing it. Uh, he and I haven't had a chance to read the paper, but he also brought a a, a pretty good paper. It looks like from the uh, International Arborist Association on uses of biochar, and uh, it's uh, he got a pallet of it, and he's given it to uh, some of us in the industry, saying all it requires is you tell me how you use it and what the results are. Right. So, uh, And it's very lightweight, which makes it very easy to ship. You can pick up this one cubic foot bag, which is the size of a bed pillow, and you can pick it up with one hand easily. So uh, by next week, hopefully, I can tell you a little bit more about that. Well, t- tell Hannah I said hi, and uh, let's talk about sick tree treatment real quick. Yes, sir. Um, the sick tree treatment is the second step of the basic organic program. Mm-hmm. The basic organic program is where we 
stop using the, the destructive stuff, the synthetic fertilizers and the toxic pesticides, and we start doing just the opposite, building the life in the soil with compost, biochar, uh, organic fertilizers, rock minerals, which are as important as the carbon, Right, and a lot of sand will be in the top of the list, and I also put uh, azomite in there now. Right, and then the third step is are the sugars, and the two sugars I use the most as part of the basic organic program are dry molasses. Same thing you do, dry molasses and, and cornmeal mm-hmm. to turn the basic organic program into the sick tree treatment. You simply add a couple of steps. The most important one being the flare exposure. Right. And then the second one is to physically aerate. And, of course, you do this with the basic organic program, too, if you're starting out with crummy soil and, you know, starting from the beginning and you're tilling in new stuff. But uh, on the, the sick tree treatment, if you're working around existing trees or trying to fix take-all patch or whatever it is, you either physically aerate the soil, take cores out, have, hire somebody to do it, do it by hand with a turning fork, or do it with liquid, the hydrogen peroxide mixed with water, 50-50, spray and drench the area one time. Mm-hmm. That is the sick tree treatment. It's the basic organic program of the carbon materials, rock minerals, and sugars with the added steps of exposing the flare dramatically of right. whatever woody plant you're talking about, not just trees, yep. and aeration in one way or another of the soil. There's a third step. The third step is the detox program. Mm-hmm. And in the detox program, you start with one more step. You don't need to do the flares in the detox program unless there's trees that are you know in the area you're detoxing. But the one step you add to take it to the third step and make it the detox program is fine-textured biochar, humate, or activated charcoal mixed in water and sprayed on the the contaminated area. If Kimlon has showed up at the wrong house, that's exactly <laughs> how I learned how to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and if it, you buy a new property and you don't know whether they've used chemicals or not, you probably ought to assume that they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any kind of contamination up to and including heavy metals, it doesn't matter what the... Decon- what the contamination is, you can decontaminate it. It just the worse the contamination is, the longer it takes. But the cool thing about the fine textured humate or biochar or activated charcoal, and in the detox program, it's the first step you take. The, and the cool thing about it is, if you do that, it ties up the uh, toxic chemicals instantly. Right. It's amazing how it works. And then the rest of the stuff breaks down those complex molecules over a period of time. The Medina soil activator I like to add to the detox program, too. Sure, but, absolutely. But the secretary treatment is to expose the flare, do the basic organic program, the whole all of it, and uh, spray as a, the final step, Garrett juice uh, mm-hmm. on everything, you know, the trunk of the tree, the limbs, the twigs, the uh, uh, ground plane, the whole uh, the whole deal. 
And that's it's really basically easy to do, and all the ingredients are pretty widely available. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and uh, I brought a bag of this uh, Donna, uh, biochar. Donna is, of course, one of our great people that you've met here, but she has a portion of her yard that it's a guy that lived uphill from her, used some of these horrible products we talk about, like the weed and feed and who knows what else, and just the rain, it all drained down into a corner of her yard kill the mount laurels kill virtually everything over there and she says just nothing will grow so it's going to be the the living laboratory to see how the biochar works and how long it takes i i shouldn't probably mention that the fellow who did all this passed away (laughs) probably as a result of using all this crud that he put out there but we've got a little good little research laboratory that we're going to be able to do some detox experimentation and see how long it takes to get this area back into healthy growth right well the shorthand version of the sick tree treatment is to expose the flare do the basic organic program uh, soil applications and stuff Spray Garrett juice all over everything, including the dogs walking by, just whatever. <laughs> and that's another thing to bring up, too, that, you know, talking about uh, this horrible new uh, Scott's product stuff, is if people won't do it for themselves, think about your pets. They're walking around barefoot. Absolutely. You and I at least wear shoes, but these poor guys and gals of the four-legged variety take it up through their pads and boy dr kirby and i just talk about this all the time but uh so many diseases so many of them terminal diseases that that people give their pets by using this crud on their yards and um i don't know why I, I like my my dogs and cats better than i like a lot of people so i i always try to mention that to people if you're not going to do it for yourself do it for your pets and the bottom line on all this stuff, the reason you and I and all the organic people recommend the organic program, the most important reason we do it is that it works better. Mm-hmm. That's the most important piece of the puzzle. It just works better in every way. When and you don't have to toxic, wait for it. Yeah. When you're spraying a toxic chemical that kills microbes, you know, that kills diseases, supposedly, to take off that thing, how slow do you have to be to not understand that that's going to be killing the beneficial microorganisms more efficiently probably than the the targeted pathogen uh you know it's getting people to think and that's 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 a real challenge sometimes but you keep up the good work and uh i i guess and and just you know quick quick thing to mention so many New people are getting involved in gardening, whether it's just the yard, whether it's the vegetable gardens. And we've got a fellow here in San Antonio that has a, a, he sells seed. He sells all kinds of seed, largely on the Internet. He told me that in the past three weeks, and this is a fellow working out of a small storefront and uh, in a back room, he has sent out 32,000 seed orders in the past three weeks. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it really is, and it just it just makes me realize how much you and I need to be pointing all, and he's doing it for us too, that how important it is that uh, we keep all this information out for people about going organic. I tell you, a new gardener is just a, a blank slate, and if we can just program him to do it right from the beginning, they'll be successful their whole life. So, again, how much we appreciate everything you do. And and just need to say thank you for DirtDoctor.com, too. I just find myself telling people the only side 
website on the internet you can trust is dirtdoctor.com because you've got so much good information up there. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for all the work y'all do down there. Absolutely. And we will talk next week. And you guys have a very happy Easter in the meantime. And uh, as always, Howard, thank you so much, and we'll visit next Saturday. Happy Easter, everybody. See you then. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right, back to gardening, and we're going to have to work to do this to get Raymond and Mike and Alan and Chris and one more quick break in there. Let's start with Raymond. Good morning, Raymond. Uh, Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, wonderful. Anyway, uh, we had a little flower bed that had a couple of sago palms in it, and we kind of worked it up real good, put a bunch of compost in it, and we planted onions in there. Uh Is there any chance of those onions... Get any anything from the sago palms? They're, no, sir. I suppose. No, sir. Okay, I didn't no think problems. so, but it's one of those deals. You kind of once you get a thought, you want to. You want know, <laughs> to ask it, somebody know, that knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. It. Uh, I certainly would not consume any portion of the sagos, especially the absolutely. seeds. But there is absolutely nothing that is toxic that is transferred through the soil to your onions or anything okay. else. So uh, enjoy your sagos and enjoy your onions. Ah, uh, thank you very much because they look awesome with this beautiful weather. <laughs> I'll bet they do. Anything uh, else I can help you with? No, that's it. Everything else is looking great. Garden's beautiful. We got some raised beds, and it's just oh, it's great. Protect anything you can this afternoon from the potential for severe weather. But uh, you keep up the good work, and I'll look forward to talking again. And uh, Don, let's go ahead and talk to Mike. Good morning, Mike. There, Bob. Good morning. Morning, Bob. How are you, sir? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. A couple of things. Uh, on this plant that I have grown that I thought was tomatoes, and then I thought it was like jalapeno. <laughs> yes, sir. What other type of plants, uh, you know, resemble uh, like a tomato plant? Uh, because now I notice the the fruit that I thought was a jalapeno, you know, maybe. Uh, uh-huh. It seems to have some little stripes or something growing along the length of it. Um you know, almost like uh, uh, the, the the lines that you have in a uh, and and is it distinctly? Yeah, is it distinctly upright or yes. does it? Yes. Okay, that's yeah. that's what is kind of puzzling about it. Uh, there's some little native gourds that look exactly like that, but they're they're always at least a little bit prostrate in their growth habit. Um, uh huh. Uh, you know, the nightshade family includes tomatoes, it includes peppers, it includes eggplant. It could be a weird eggplant of some sort. Um, Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, My wife does eat eggplant. I don't, but she does. Well, (laughs) you just... It all gets thrown into the grinder, and I just throw it sometimes (laughs) on top of of the soil. I don't uh, bury it deep. I just throw it on top, so... And there's there's that. nothing nothing wrong with that, but that from your description uh, would be because you know everybody thinks of eggplant as being those big old purple things, yes. and the original eggplants. In fact, there is a variety out there now that's even called Easter egg that comes out with about four different colors of fruit and occasionally a striped fruit. So. Until or unless we find something to the contrary, I'm going to guess eggplant. Okay. 
well, I figured, well, let me see what else this thing could be. <laughs> that would be a possibility. And then, of course, you know, there's also the, the tomatillos, the so-called husk tomatoes, but I can't say I've ever seen a striped one of those. And you certainly uh-huh. know what the husk tomato looks like, and it's got that weird oh, little yeah. cap on it. So I don't think that. Yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, bet on eggplant until it gets a little bigger, and then we'll sure, re-examine sure. it. All right. And the other issue, uh, I purchased a... Uh, a gardenia in one of the big box stores. It's about three feet tall. Um, it's producing very nice right now. Uh, uh-huh. And I'm reading the instructions. Well, first of all, how tall can these things get? Depends on the gardenia variety, Mike. It uh, uh-huh. There are big gardenias like Mystery that grow five to six feet tall. They're little like one called radicans that rarely gets above 18 inches. So it's going to depend on the variety, but invariably, what they all want is protection from the hot sun, the richest soil you can create, working a lot of compost into the ground, and uh, just regular watering. Don't keep them too wet, but then don't let them get too dry between waterings. And uh, feed regularly and probably supplement it with a little bit of green sand three or four times a year. You do those things, you'll have one of those fragrant flowers out there. Now, on the feeding, it says uh, not to do it during the... Uh fold it you know during the blooming season well you uh, and i know that when you're doing organics you do it year round well and that was going to be my thing i i, I know you're supposed to use a like an acid type uh fertilizer uh, correct no if you if you've got your soil rich you've got plenty of humic acids plenty of fulvic acids you go with the same organic products we use on everything else your gardenia will love you oh, okay because the only thing right now that i've been given it is uh that has to grow yeah and i bet it looks good it does. It does. Um, what else? Oh, um, it's still in its original pot. I didn't want to transplant it yet because I uh-huh. really don't have um, an area. You know, it says it's supposed to get, like, uh, sun during the day or not let it get too hot. Well, down here, well, you know, it's already hot uh, by 11 in the morning. Yeah. Well, the heat, have... the, the heat's not a problem, but the sun is. Uh, put yeah. it where, you know, it gets good shade for maybe 11 o'clock on, and you should do very well with it. Okay, doke. Um and uh, let me see, what else, what else? Oh, when would uh, be a good time to transplant it? Uh, Any time uh, after 9 o'clock when I go off the air? No, you're, you're, not, you're not really transplanting, you're planting. You're simply taking it out of one pot and putting it in the ground. Right, So right. You, do that, you do that 365 days a year whenever it's convenient for you. All right, and since I have it in the pot, um, I guess uh, it doesn't hurt if I water it daily. Water it whenever it's dry on the surface. Don't ever let it get bone dry. But as you okay. well know, don't water it to the point that it gets stay soggy wet because that drives the oxygen out of the soil, and that's death to just about anything. Well, I, I, I figured since it has those holes at the bottom, it's not going to stay soggy wet anyway. Uh, you might be surprised. Depends on how good or bad huh. the soil is. But, Mike, okay. let me let you go because I need to try to get a uh, break in two more people. You have a happy Easter, and it's always good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Now, goodbye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Well, you get a line and I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line and I'll get a pole, babe. You get a line and I'll get a pole and we'll go down to the crow that hole, honey, baby mine. Well, I sat on the bank till my feet got cold, honey. Sat on the bank till my feet got cold, babe. 
sell the bank till my feet got cold. Watching them crawl that's jumping that hole, honey, baby, man. Oh, Don, turn it back the clock on that one. I makes you tap your toe and want to sing along. <laughs> you always know Mr. Don Cooper Stevens doing my engineering for me when we get a get a good fishing song for the last commercial break of the show. And uh got about four minutes left, so let's give two minutes each to Alan and Chris. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Uh, I have a couple of Mexican fan palm trees that are showing some really distress. Um, last year, they were all green and beautiful. This year, I've had to trim off like brown leaf ends, and the whole leaves and stalks have gone too. Okay. Best way to take care of them. You've got something going on with the roots on a Mexican fan palm when the leaf tips start getting brown um is this on the newest growth as well as on the old growth um not so much the new growth no okay well if the new growth is looking good it's probably not a serious issue uh be very careful that you never use any weed and feed products or anything like that around them palm trees we don't have to worry about them being buried too deeply so don't worry about the root flare on those guys but it's usually either a water issue or a chemical issue so uh be sure that periodically you water them very very thoroughly but uh, let them get pretty dry. They don't need a whole lot of help from us. And, and like I say, stay very strictly away from weed and feed or any kind of weed killers around them. As long as the new growth looks good, that tells me that whatever was going wrong, cause of brown tips happened last year, I think you're off to a good start this year. So watch your watering carefully, and they should come out just fine. Okay, thank you. We got like three oleanders in the same beds, and one of them is beautiful. The other two died off as well. Yeah, uh, oleanders get a get a bad disease. It's called bacteria, bacterial leaf scorch. But your palm trees don't get that, so mm-hmm. I don't think the I don't think it's the same situation. But uh, again, weed killers or anything like that could do it. But but oleanders are just uh, much more problem prone than Mexican fan palms. So thank you. Okay. I think you'll be just fine. All right. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Alan. Thank you. And we'll finish up with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Hi, Chris. One quick question. Whole ground corn. Whole ground corn meal. Nothing but, is nothing but whole ground corn, correct? That's exactly right. Okay, good. So if I'm able to pick up several bags, 50-pound bags of uh, deer corn for a dollar a piece, I can grind Mm -hmm. my own and throw it out. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I thought that just, was no stupid little question, but you know. No, it's not a stupid question at all. But just remember that the more you grind it, the more surface area you create for the trichoderma to grow. And remember that cornmeal is hard to store because of those beetles that like to get into it. So if you're going to have to store it for any length of time, either add some bay leaves to it. Or if you have room, uh, anything you want to keep for really good use, like toenail fungus or anything, put some of it in the freezer. But, yeah, corn corn is corn, yeah. and uh, you're in good shape. So you grind it, and so, you'll so be in good question, shape. Can, okay, if I don't grind it and just leave it as the corn until I need it, then, uh-huh. you know, granted, the little beetles will happen, but then I can just grind as I go through the seasons, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just keep good, the rats and mice out of it. You're welcome, Chris. Of thank course. you.